the tough part for us this time of year and just because of what's going on is we can't be at spring football. You, we can literally send a very, very skeleton crew to go cover this. We usually are on the sidelines or be able to watch this very, very deeply. But Nevada football continues to grind through through spring football. And, uh, you know, it, it's a great time to establish depth and, and to get a lot of these, some, some of these new faces, a chance to get out there and, and integrate and get out on the field. Yeah, just time uh, to get practice. I mean, Nevada has to get better this offseason. If Nevada comes back in 2021, the same level it played at 2020, it's not going to achieve the goals it wants, which is to get the double-digit wins, which is to win the Mountain West, which is to potentially get to a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, Nevada did not play at that level last year. They were very, very good. They took some huge step forwards going 7-2, and two, winning a bowl game. But, um, you know, the, the schedule is going to be a lot more difficult next season. Uh, the ability for the opponent to press Nevada with his passing game is going to be a lot better next season. The road tests are going to be a lot stronger next season you're going to have a non-conference schedule where you have to play teams like cal and kansas state and uh you know nevada needs to get better in all phases but very specifically in the secondary on special teams and its ability to be more physical running the ball if it wants to achieve its goals so i think spring camp is very important in getting the team better uh they've gone through their winter conditioning they have uh you know summer conditioning right after this uh, it's a 24 7 365 uh, job i mean these guys don't get a lot of downtime yeah they might just play games uh, for three months from September to December. But, um, you know, they, they have to grind 365 days out of the year if they are going to reach their goals. So it, it's definitely a very important time for them to get better. They were able to scrimmage last Saturday and they're going to be able to scrimmage this Saturday and obviously in the spring game two Saturdays from now. But, uh, you know, the whole key is just not assuming that you're going to be better because you're a year older and you're bringing back all your starters and all your seniors are coming back because of the NCAA rules. So, you know, Nevada has to be focused on making big gains or it's not going to have the kind of season that it wants to have this upcoming year. Nevada Sports, that's Kirsten Moran, was able to go out to practice over the weekend and got a chance to talk with head coach Jane Orville about his team's progress in spring football. Really, really great uh, first two weeks. Uh, we've had a lot of competition back and forth. Uh, I, I see a lot of improvement in our defense. Um, you know, our offense, we... we we have some guys that we're holding out with Carson, um, and we just want to see more consistency uh, from from these guys and and uh, and more consistent play. So really, really learning uh, a lot of teaching uh, and a lot of the young players getting an opportunity. You know, Chris, we talked about how Nevada last year seven and two. They go out to get the bowl game, to win the bowl game. Um, this, I mean, if they, Nevada has a nice problem to have right now. I mean, you, you're you're one of the teams that's probably going to be picked among the top in your division in the Mountain West Conference, if not the top of the Mountain West Conference. I've seen some publications with their way too early predictions, and they're picking Nevada to win that Western division. But the golden carrot out there is to get to the Mountain West Conference championship game and to not just get there, but to win it. I mean, that's Nevada has to at least get to the Mountain West Conference championship game and face one of the uglies, face a Boise State maybe, if you're expecting the Broncos to be there in order to accomplish one of their goals. I mean, a lot of coaches might say, well, we don't put numbers out there as goals. I don't buy that. I think that coaches go, we need to get to here. Now we were here. We need to get to here. 
Yeah, I mean, Nevada needs to get better, as I already mentioned. I mean, they played two teams above 500 last year, and they went 0-2 in those games. So they're not going to face a bunch of teams that are 500 or worse this season. They're going to face, like I mentioned, Cal, Kansas State, Boise State on the road, San Diego State on the road, Fresno State on the road. So, uh, you know, Nevada's a very dangerous team. I think if you're any coach in the Mountain West, you look at the Wolfpack's record, and it scares you to a degree. Um, you know, you, you look at this senior class, and I'll include Carson Strong. I know he's not a senior. He's only a junior, but could very well be his last year at Nevada. Uh, you have Carson Strong, Toa Tawa, Devontae Lee, uh, Romeo Dubs, Elijah Cooks, Cole Turner, Aaron Frost, Jermaine Ledbetter. Up and down the roster on the offense, you go over to the defense. Don Peterson, Sam Hammond, Lawson Hall, Burdell Robbins. Uh, this team is loaded with great senior class. And if they don't achieve those goals this year, it's going to be difficult to do it moving forward. I I think this is going to be one of those historic senior classes where Nevada has so many good players and this is the year to strike for sure. So yes, I, I think anything less than getting to a Mountain West championship would be a disappointment for these players and coaches. They talked very openly last year that their goal was to win every single game. They thought it was achievable to go undefeated. And, you know, they're, they're talking about the same stuff this year. It's not going to be easy to do. I don't, if Nevada goes 12 and one, it's not an unsuccessful season, but I do think if they don't get to a Mountain West championship game, it is going to be an unsuccessful season, just feel, felt by the players and the coaches because of all that talent I just mentioned. And all those guys are more or less in their last year. Now, some of these guys will have the option of coming back for a second senior season if you go into the eligibility stuff because last year didn't technically count. But it's the last time this group of guys who have been through so much, they went through a losing season, Coach Norvell's first year, and then they got to a bowl game and they got better. And then last year, finishing one half short of getting to a Mountain West championship game with that second half uh, collapse against San Jose State. The next step, the next progression is being able to call yourself champions. And yeah, you win a bowl game, you can call yourself a champion. I mean, I don't. Uh, you know, you win a championship by winning a conference. And Nevada has not done that since 2010. So this is their greatest chance of doing that uh, and they have a chance to get into the top 25 all these things if they take care of non-conference play as well so it's a very exciting season but Nevada has to go out there and make the progression required to, to go get the double digit wins to go play in that championship that they've been eager to get to since moving to the Mountain West in 2012. You mentioned so many names and so much talent that's on this team and guys that are going to be very very attractive to teams at the next level uh, with Romeo Dubs and Cole Turner, some of the stuff we've seen on Twitter, and credit to Nevada's football social media folks for letting us get to see a lot of the stuff. Cole Turner has looked spectacular. Carson Strong, Toa Tau. Do you think that Aaron Frost might have a chance to play himself into becoming a draft pick? I mean, I think he's one of those guys that athletically you kind of, kind of look at him and go, as, as a team, you go, maybe we can mold this guy. But I did see on social media over the weekend, that a scout was looking at Carson Strong video and kept being drawn to this tenacious tackle that would go and mess guys up halfway down the field, you know, play to the whistle. You think Aaron Frost has a chance to be one of those guys that could play himself up? I think there are a lot of guys who are kind of on the fringe of that. And I think if Nevada goes out there and wins, it only helps their chances. I mean, you look at when Nevada sent a bunch of players to the NFL from 2009 to 2012 is because of that 2010 season where they went out there and they finished 11th in the nation when they had Colin Kaepernick, who was a star who everybody knew was going to get drafted. And then you have scouts come out and they notice all these other guys. I think that opens the door for a guy like Brandon Marshall, for James Michael Johnson, for Duke Williams, Khalid Wooten, Isaiah Fry. If those guys were all playing on teams 
teams that were, you know, five and seven, six and six every year, they probably don't get drafted. But because they were on a winning team and the NFL wants to find winners, they get a chance to get moved into the draft and have a chance to go prove that they're NFL players. So, yeah, I think you look at a guy like an Aaron Frost, who maybe is right on the fringe there. He has a lot of the physical skills you want. He obviously has to curb his penalties, which has been an issue. But um, you ask Nevada staff, they'll tell you he was by far their best offensive lineman last year. You look at a guy like Jacob Gardner at left tackle, who's a potential NFL player if everything breaks right. If you're playing for winning teams, that helps your odds so much because you have way more scouts out there. Um, you know, they believe that you contribute to winning rather than just going out and putting up nice individual stats. A lot of people in college put up nice stats. So I do think that, you know, how Nevada plays as a team definitely benefits these own individuals with their pro aspirations. And I think Aaron Frost definitely fits into that mold. One of the guys that's really seen the benefits of Carson Strong being out this spring because of the knee surgery is Nate Cox. Uh, six foot nine, he's built like a power forward. Uh, transfer who's come in to, to kind of not, not necessarily take over, but he's 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 seen by many as he is the backup at Nevada. He's their number two. Um, how much do you think it's benefited Nate Cox to be able to really get out there and be under live fire, be in, be in that spot? And you know, without Carson around, he has to be the guy that takes all the snaps and make the reads. Yeah, it's huge for him. Uh, Kirsten Moran and I talked to him last week in a segment that I think is going to run on tomorrow's show, but he's just very excited to be QB number one. It's something that he's wanted his entire life. He's a guy who didn't start until his senior season of high school because he was just down on the depth chart. Goes to Louisiana Tech as a walk-on for two years, doesn't play at all, goes to a junior college for a year, uh, you know, starts 10 games, and now gets the opportunity at Nevada, albeit just in spring camp, to go out there and run an offense, to be the leader of a group. Um, you know, to throw to Romeo Dubs and Cole Turner, that's not something he got to do a lot last year because you're working with the second or the third string. So you don't get to throw to the, you know, top uh, pass catchers on your roster. So he talked very openly just about how important that was to him. And yeah, Carson Strong's the man. I mean, he's coming back next year healthy and he's going to be the guy who gets all the snaps if he's, uh, you know, if he can avoid injury. And that's what everybody hopes. But you do need that depth. I mean, there are times when you're going to have to have your backup quarterback step in whether it's for an entire game because of an injury whether it's for one series because somebody gets uh you know ringed up and he has to come in and, and uh you know execute the offense and you always want your players to be healthy but i do think it's beneficial for both nate cox and jake farlidge who's kind of the number two string a junior college player who joined about last season um, just to have those reps with the top guys to build some kind of rapport to have 15 practices to iron out any details that you need to iron out um to get hit uh you know Quarterbacks do not get hit in practice. And as I just mentioned, Nate's basically only played two years of real football from, you know, the varsity level up and he needs to get hit. He needs to know what that feels like. He needs to know how quickly a pocket collapses. And in Saturday's uh, scrimmage, they had the quarterbacks live. They were getting hit. You know, they could get sacked and things like that. And he talked about how important that was just to get a feel for what an actual football game's, uh, you know, like. So I think it'll be hugely beneficial. Uh, unfortunately for him, I think what fact fans hope that he never has to take a snap this upcoming season. But odds are he's going to have to take a snap. And these will be invaluable snaps for him as he prepares for 2021. As Chris alluded to, we will be airing the interview with uh, Nate Cox, uh, Chris Murray, and Kirsten Moran. Got a chance to uh, talk with the, the big gunslinger quarterback, uh, six foot nine. He's a massive, massive athlete. Uh, and that'll be on uh, tomorrow's episode of NSN Daily. Coming up next on this show, uh, we're going into our Wolfpack update from over the weekend. Nevada softball, two out of three, including a walk off to wrap up the series against Colorado State. That's next. This Wolfpack update is brought to you by Renown Health. It is Monday. That means your Wolfpack update from over the weekend brought to you by our friends over 
at Renown. Uh, let's talk softball. Uh, Nevada baseball did not play this weekend because of uh, their series against New Mexico be, uh, being canceled due to COVID concerns in Albuquerque. The folks in Albuquerque, Chris, we, we've talked about this. They have really dealt with some, some rough times with this. All of us have, but it's really been bad for the University of New Mexico. Uh, but on a, on a brighter note, Nevada takes two out of three from Colorado State. Uh, bounce back nicely after a, a, a rough first game on Saturday to uh, have a little walk-off action uh, late on Saturday. Yeah, they, they won the first game. They lost the second game of the series, and then they got the third game to win the series. And it's kind of just been par for the course so far for Nevada softball. I mean, this is a team that now has played four Mountain West series, and they've won two out of three in all four of them. And it seems like there's always a walk-off mixed in there. I mean, this team has been great in the seventh inning, in this example, the eighth inning, because it went into extra innings. Nevada down a run heading into the eighth inning. Kenzie Goings hits a home run to tie it up. And then Sam Oliver, the freshman, gets an RBI single to win the game for the team. And they've put themselves in a really good position uh, as the season comes to a close. They only have three Mountain West series left. They are 11-4 and four in Mountain West play. Fresno State's 11-1, and one, so Nevada's one and a half games behind the first-place Bulldogs. And now things are going to get difficult. They have three series left against Fresno State, UNLV, and Boise State. Those are three of the top four teams in the league. The other team in that mix is Nevada. So they've played a, a bit of a little bit weaker schedule up until this point. And now they have it completely in their hands, exactly how they would like it. I mentioned they're a game and a half back, but they completely control their destiny going Fresno State, UNLV, Boise State. And it will be real fun to see if this team can make a run to a Mountain West championship. They put themselves in good position with nine games left to play in the conference. And now they got to go out there and, and beat some really good competition and close this thing out if they want to call themselves Mountain West champs. Yeah, I misspoke. The walk-off was on Sunday. There was a single game Sunday, doubleheader Saturday. And for a team to bounce back from losing 12 to nothing in the late game on Saturday, on a Saturday, sleep on that and come out and, and you know have the, uh, the internal grit to win on a Sunday like that in walk-off fashion is, is pretty good. Uh, Nevada baseball, I want to touch on them for a second. They travel to Colorado Springs to take on the Air Force Academy um, starting on Saturday, uh, doubleheader Saturday, and a single game on Sunday against the Falcons. Um, Nevada baseball at the same time, you know, they, they've had some series canceled, but you know, that's, that's nature of the beast. You kind of have to kind of roll with the punches this year and, uh, they're heading into air force. Yeah, they've got a little bit more meat on their bone in terms of how many games they have left in their conference. They did play the Falcons at Pacoli Park earlier this year. They won only one of those three games. So they'll try and get some redemption out there. I mean, this is probably going to be a huge hitting series. I mean, you're playing at elevation above 6,000 feet. When you go out to Colorado Springs, it's usually double digits required to win games. And that's really going to test your pitching depth, especially with the double header mix in there. I think it's really key for Nevada starting pitchers to at least go five innings, maybe six innings, and give their bullpen a chance during this series not to get overtaxed because as I mentioned there's just a ton of runs when you go play at Colorado Springs so Nevada still remains in the mix to a degree in terms of trying to win a conference championship but they need to start getting some sweeps it's been a lot of you know they've won one out of three they did get two out of three against San Diego State but they put themselves in a position where you know sweeps are kind of necessary at this point if they want to go out there and win a Mountain West title this year so they'll have an opportunity they've still got five series left so um, you know, they, they've got some time to make up, but they're, they're definitely not exactly uh, in as good of a position as the softball team uh, as we kind of get to the close of the year. Uh, the, and the fun thing, too, is the Air Force Academy, you know, is always a, an, an a, you know, extremely exciting trip because it's it's an incredible campus. It literally just it's the size of a small county. I mean, it's it's amazing to go in there. And I don't know. I haven't been there in a couple of years. I don't know if they still have. I thought it was to left field, left center. They had a big circle out there. I don't know if there was a net on it or something, but if one of the student, one of the student athletes for Air Force hit a home run into it, 
they got a day off or something. I don't know the ins and outs of, of, of the daily routine, which is, which is crazy for, for someone that goes to the Air Force Academy. Do you know if it's still there? I'm not sure. I've never actually seen a baseball game there. I don't even think I've been to the baseball field, but I mean, you mentioned it. Their schedules are very difficult. They're usually up at 5 a.m. Uh, they've got to go through all of their workouts and training and all that kind of stuff before school even starts. And then after school, they have, uh, you know, their athletic uh, practices. And yeah, it's it's a very rigorous life. I mean, it definitely teaches discipline. Um, you usually face very disciplined teams, no matter what the sport is. Almost everybody on campus has to play a sport, even if it's an intramural. So, um, you know, I'm not sure exactly about getting a day off, but I'm sure it would be welcomed given how difficult their daily schedules are there on the academy. Yeah, seriously. Uh, the way that their regimented schedules are, that would be like gold to be able to sleep in until 9 a.m. or whatever it is. But uh, Nevada baseball at uh, the Air Force Academy coming up over the weekend. We'll be right back with more here on NSN Daily right after this. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Chris, you know, we talked uh, last week about Caleb Martin getting a start with the uh, Charlotte Hornets and, and absolutely going off in that game. How about Cody Martin getting a start? Uh, last night for the Hornets in a big uh, matchup against Portland. And uh, Cody made himself a little highlight reel uh, with a theft of CJ McCollum and a dunk in his face. Cody filled up the stat sheet rather nicely last night. Not surprised he would start against Portland. Portland's one of the best offensive teams in the NBA, and that's Cody's gig. I mean, he's a great defensive player, and he can de defend multiple players, very willing uh, defensive player. He knows that's why he's in the NBA right now. So uh, nice to see him get that opportunity. Like Caleb, it's been up and down with minutes. It's been in the rotation. Then you're you're getting 25 minutes now we'll give you three minutes so you just got to roll with the punches be productive when you're out there and when I talk about production and Cody Martin it is about that defense it's about making things difficult uh, on whoever you're guarding and you know you've seen they've put him on in game winning situations they put him on the uh, opponent opposing team's best score um, so they really do believe in him as a defensive player and uh, you know he can do some things offensively as well I mean obviously he's not going to be like the point guard that he was at Nevada he's not going to have the ball in his hands a ton but uh, you know he's definitely has some skills there you know the three-point shooting still not a forte but um, you know there's a reason he's in the league and it's because of the fact that he can fill up whatever gap that you need on that specific day seven rebounds seven assists five points last night he did hit a three he is uh, literally uh, the Swiss Army knife I mean he's one of those guys but Love the fact that he prides himself on defense. And guys have found themselves nice jobs in the league for a very long time, rebounding and defending. I mean, look at look at Paul Millsap. And I always go back to Paul Millsap at Louisiana Tech, who wasn't crazy impressive coming out of college, but it was the type of guy who was going to clean the glass and you weren't going to be able to really try and score on him. He was a guy that liked doing the dirty work. I, I think that Cody Martin's going to have a long career in the NBA just because he's one of those you know, Mike Rowe, dirty jobs guys that will go out and do what you need him to do. And he doesn't have the ego. Yeah. And he has to understand that, you know, he has to understand that if I'm going to stay in this league, if I'm going to make a million dollars a year, the minimum salary, you know, I need to go in there and I need to do whatever the coach says. And I think he's completely understanding of that. And he's completely willing to do whatever is asked of him. Yeah. Every NBA player wants to go out there and score. They want to take shots, but that's not going to be his role. He's never going to be a double digit scorer in the NBA. He's going to be a guy who goes in there uh you know he plays strong defense he passes the ball he makes good decisions he gets teams into transition really quickly like you said he rebounds uh you know he can get some steals i mean at nevada he was 
very well known for getting a lot of block shots as a guard. But um, yeah, it's whatever is needed on that given day. And he's going to have the personality to go in there and do it. Now he's going to need some luck as well. I mean, we talk about skill and, you know, he fits in the NBA. Like to me, Cam Oliver, who actually just had to leave Australia because his wife is having a pregnancy complication. We can maybe get into that. But, um, you know, Cam Oliver is clearly good enough playing the NBA. Uh, I think Jalen Harris could get minutes in the NBA and he's kind of sitting on the bench. And you need those breaks along the way. And Charlie him that break by drafting him in the second round and I think everything he's done in his first year and a half in the NBA is to prove them right yeah I mean a second rounder he's not going to be an all-star he's probably not going to be a starter but you know I'll give you quality minutes when you put me in there you can trust me to make a right decision when you put me in there and I think that's what Cody's done so far in his career and you just listen to you know Gordon Hayward wrote a blog post talking about the Martin Twins how much he enjoys being around them uh, the general manager Mitch Kupchak has talked about it their, their coaches talked about it like everybody in Charlotte seems to love these guys just like they did at Nevada because they do everything you ask and they do everything right. Yeah, I mean, and they, he's got the attention of the right people. I mean, that's that that's that's how, how you do it. If you get the attention of the right guys and do what you're asked to do and keep your nose clean, that's what the Martins are going to do. You're, you're going to continue on and, and be able to, to move forward that way. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm excited. I think I, the same thing with Ramon Sessions. You know, Ramon ran into some luck, found himself some places where he was he was a good part to put in, and you're right. He's one of those guys that I'm not going to be getting 30 minutes a night, but you can trust me for the 12 or 14 you want to put me in, but I'm not going to turn the ball over. I'm not going to do something stupid on the court. I'm not going to do something stupid off the court. Uh, you alluded to the Cam Oliver story. What's developing there? Oh, yes, played 24 games this year for uh, Carnes Tappins and unfortunately had to leave because his wife is, uh, you know, going through her third pregnancy with Cam and she's having some complications. So the team did release a press release yesterday saying he's going to have to leave the team for the rest of the year, come back to the States to be with his wife during that period. He was having a great year. I mean, he was averaging uh, 17 points, 10 rebounds, a block and a half a game. One of the best players in Australia yet again. He's made a very good living over there. Sometimes you just find your niche and that's the place that you kind of stay long term. So unfortunately, yes, he has had to leave his pro opportunity. He did sign a two year deal, so he'll be right back there next year. But, um, you know, at this point, all well wishes to him and his uh, you know, wife, who was his longtime girlfriend when he was at Nevada. She was at every single game that just that they can get through this pregnancy healthy and they can welcome their third uh, child here uh, pretty shortly. I think she's due in about two months. So hopefully everything goes well and uh, everything is clean there and he's able to, you know, welcome another child. He's got uh, one son, one daughter, and then, you know, go back to Australia next year and play some ball again. Yeah, we'll see if uh, there are scholarship offers already offered to uh, any of the uh, the Oliver children by uh, by Coach Levins or Coach Alford. But uh, yeah, definitely all good wishes and thoughts toward uh, Cam and Oliver and his wife as they uh, as they uh, hopefully uh, welcome uh, a third child into the world. Uh, you, you think about you know what's really matter what really matters in life. You know we, we we're going to talk to Jake Dalton tomorrow on this show, a former Olympian, Spanish Springs graduate, all the all the pomp and circumstance of being an Olympian, but he just welcomed a baby girl he and his wife did into the world. And, you know, things change once you, be, once you become a dad, you know, once you become a father or a mother, everything changes and the perspective really changes on, on what's important uh, in life. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Nevada men's basketball is welcoming a transfer in from Wichita State. We'll tell you what kind of a role we think he will play with the silver and blue coming up. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Shannon Kelly joined now with Nevada golfer Victoria Gailey. 
Nevada coming off their final tournament of the spring in Fresno, getting set for the Mountain West Championships. And Victoria, you've been on a roll lately. You have had three top 15 finishes. You took home your first individual career win at BYU last month. Um, you were named Mountain West Golfer of the Week. So a lot of great things happening for you as you guys head into the Mountain West Championships. Just, you know, what's been working so well for you out there this spring? Um. Thank you for that. Um, I think it's, I finally, getting that win really just helped me realize that I can do it. It kind of showed me that like all of my hard work, like throughout call, my college career has like been paying off and it's really just given me the confidence that I can like shoot around par every time and under. And I think it's helped me um, just gain that confidence to get like additional like top tens and top 15s. When you're at the BYU tournament, your last day was canceled due to the weather. And I saw the picture from when you won and there was snow on the ground. I mean, was that one of the coldest places you've ever golfed before? Um, well, the weather was actually pretty good the first day. And then I guess like a cold front just kind of came in and all of a sudden it was like, we woke up in the morning and it was snowing and we're like, are we even going to play? And so um, maybe not the coldest place, but definitely the most unexpected weather turn for sure. Since everything was completely fine the day before. Okay. So. I had to ask, I figured, you know, was it really cold then before it snowed? Cause obviously it wasn't snowing if you guys you know, you wouldn't have been playing if it was snowing. So, yeah, you know, um, from I'm from the Northwest, so I've played in a lot of cold conditions before. So, um, yeah, and it, it gets pretty cold here in Reno too. So I, we were prepared. You're so. used to it. I mean, and I guess, you know, here in Reno too, now having the indoor facility, that's really helped you guys be able to get practice in, in town here when it is really cold. Yeah, we actually haven't had to use it too much because the weather's been decent. But when it when it does snow here for like a day or two, it's really great opportunity for us to keep our everything in tune while we're in the middle of season and the weather does turn. Yeah, you just never know what to expect during the spring here in <laughs> yeah. Nevada. So <laughs> um, now as you guys head into the Mount West Championships down in Palm Desert, you've played at that course before. I mean, just... You know, what's your mindset heading into this week? Um, I, I'm definitely going to use all the knowledge I learned my freshman year from playing it. Um, and I'm going to have the conditions in mind. The LPGA played there a couple weeks ago for their um, major championship. And so the conditions are definitely going to be tougher because thick rough, like super fast green. So I'm definitely going to keep that in mind when I'm preparing um, this next week, kind of like tailoring um, my game towards those conditions, making sure I'm hitting fairways and uh, practicing those like high lofted uh, shots out of thick rough. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely just going to keep in mind what I've learned and use that to my advantage and also help my teammates out who haven't played before. Being a junior, being a little bit more experienced, how do you help the younger girls, you know, not just at this tournament and on this course, but, you know, throughout the whole season, because you've played at a lot of these courses when they haven't. Yeah, it's really just during the practice round, like being like, oh, this is like how I play this whole coach is also like putting in all of her knowledge too and helping them out. But um, I also just give them kind of like a player look and uh, but they're all really great at figuring everything out. So they don't need too much help. But um, yeah, and just just helping them 
like knock off some nerves or being like this is this whole like watch out for this here and there but um yeah it's it's great to just like all collaborate and everything and I learn stuff from them all the time too having their like fresh eyes look at the course it's it's helpful to me as well yeah you know you guys can lean on each other because while it is an individual sport you guys are still fighting for a team championship at the same time so I want to get into your golf career just a little bit. When did you start golfing? Um, I started golfing when I was just like super young. My dad um, was a teaching professional. My, my aunt played golf at Oregon State. Just like my whole family just was around golf. So when, as soon as I could like walk and hold a club, they just kind of like put it in there. And um, so, yeah, I've always been around it. Um, but they never like forced it. It just like happened. And I like grew my own love for it um, from like a really young age. So you had the little kids clubs. And then as you got (laughs) older, you'd get a new set of clubs. I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. My dad is like, he used to always like jimmy up clubs. He'd take like heads from the shafts from kids clubs and he'd like build them together. Yeah. And I had like, I think my first putter was like a Snoopy putter or something. It's like the size of my like leg, like my calf. (laughs) So small. That's so funny. That's awesome. What have been some of your most memorable moments of your golfing career? Um, this summer was really memorable. I got two wins playing in, um, Oregon events that I've uh, grown up playing like junior golf. And now that I'm in college, I play in like the amateur women's events. So this summer was definitely something that I remember pretty vividly. Um, it was just a really good milestone for me again, like giving me that confidence, just like, um, I was given confidence after winning the BYU event. Um, I also, I think one of my favorite wins like to this day was winning the Oregon junior match play, um, the Bob Allard tournament at Waverly country club. Um, that was like my big breakthrough as a junior and, uh, have that I think has helped me kind of get a lot better throughout my entire like career. And that was like the first time that I was like, yay, I really like this and like, I can do it. So, um, yeah. And just like getting to travel and play, I've played so many awesome courses and those are just memories that I'll have forever. And so, yeah, no one can take those memories away from you. And that kind of leads me into my next two questions, really, I guess first, just, you know, you're talking about playing in Oregon last summer. So tell people a little bit about that, you know, during the off season and then what's kind of next for you this summer. Yeah. So when COVID hit, I like went back home, finished school up there. And then, uh, Oregon has like a great, um, golfing tournament lineup. And so I definitely take advantage of those and I play in those every summer. It's so great to reconnect with friends from junior golf who are also college golfers all over the country. So, um, yeah, played in those and then came back to school. And that's going to be pretty much my same plan this summer to finish up finals here and then um, get on the summer golf tour of Oregon golf and trying to qualify for some national events as well. Well, at least you can keep playing during the summer, keep your game going, because I feel like if you're not playing, it can be rough when you get back out there. <laughs> if you've been I know. for a months. So Yeah, I'm super, speaking of that, I'm super thankful. Like this fall, I was still able to compete in like outside events. And I think that's part of what's helped me um, do better this 
spring is because I kept my competitive juices flowing. I played in those events. And so it wasn't much of like a shock coming into the spring competition. Cause I was, I was like, I'm just picking up where I left off. It's just different because now I'm with the team. So. Yeah, no, definitely. You still kept everything going. And so where is your favorite place to play golf anywhere, wherever you've played, where's your favorite? That's a tough question because there's so many amazing courses, but the one that always comes first to mind is Bandon Dunes in Southern Oregon coast. It's just, they have, it's just so cool and it's so different from everywhere else. Um, And so I really enjoy it out there, but there's so many courses that are just like so great to play, but that's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, I've heard of it before. My coworker Alex Margulies played there last summer and it looked absolutely gorgeous. You played there part of our road trip in series and it looked gorgeous. So I can only imagine. And, you know, what's it like just to play in different climates? I mean, is that tough to adjust to? I mean, the altitude here in Reno is, is pretty high, probably than some other places that you've played. Yeah, I mean, every week we are, we're at a different town, different city, different climate. So it's always like adjusting to the elevation, adjusting to like the heat. Like we played in Arizona a couple weeks ago. It's more of like a desert style course, which I haven't played in a while. And it was like 95 degrees. So the ball's going to go flyer. The greens are firmer. So like every place you go, that's kind of the first thing that we do as a team is we like assess the conditions, assess the weather and kind of adjust accordingly based on our Reno baseline. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's, it's tough up here. I've played a couple times. I'm just getting into golf and it's, it's tough. So I can only imagine, you know, how much easier I guess it may be when you're not as at as high of an elevation but still tough at the same time because every course is different yeah so we like here in Reno because the elevation is so high when we go down to sea level sometimes it can be a club difference of how far the ball goes like it goes way farther up here so going down to sea level it can be kind of you have to really adjust um because you could be hitting it way too short at sea level because you're used to Reno so Yeah. So back in 2019, uh, Nevada, you guys finished second in the Mountain West Championships. What would it mean to be able to make a run in this thing again this year? I mean, it's been our goal this whole semester. And even since COVID hit, we've done a lot of like team goals, team bonding and everything. And our, our main vision this entire year has been to give it a run at Mountain West and get a win. Um, it would mean everything for us just to see our like our vision and our goal come true. And also it would get us a regionals bid, which would just like, <laughs> it would be amazing. Um, so I know we're all um, really looking forward to this week and we've learned so much through all of our tournaments. Like I said, like COVID's been a tough year. A lot of girls haven't been able to play in the fall. Like I was lucky enough to take advantage of Um, that opportunity, but it's definitely been a big learning experience this spring, kind of um, figuring out what we need to work on. And, but I think because we've learned so much, we're really going to be at our best um, come next week for Mountain West. So I, yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's all you can do really when you're looking at it, you can only take it one 
one day at a time, really. So well, best of luck, best of luck to you in the Mountain West championships, you and the rest of the team. We're looking forward to seeing what you guys can do. That's on Tuesday and Wednesday down in Palm Desert, California. Victoria Gailey, Nevada junior golfer joining us on NSN Daily. Thank you for stopping by the show. Thank you so much. We'll be right back with more right after this. Well, it's kind of the uh, nature of the beast when it comes to college athletics these days. You see transfers coming in, coming out. Some people liken it to free agency uh, in, in a certain respect. But uh, Nevada men's basketball picking up a transfer. Chris, you've got a nice write-up on the website, nevadasportsnet.com. What can you tell us about this young man, Trey Wade? Trey Wade, yep. Uh, six foot six, 220 pounds. He's basically an undersized power forward. That's what he played at Wichita State. He started there two years. Wichita State was in the NCAA tournament last year, would have been the year before if it wasn't canceled. So a starting level player on an NCAA tournament kind of team. And I think he just does a lot of uh, good things. I don't think he's going to be an all-conference player. So I think a lot of fans might look at him and be like, eh, you know, a guy who averages seven points and five rebounds a game. But, um, you know, he's a strong physical player. He's very tough. He reminds me a lot of Tyron Criswell. Like, he's not going to light you up from three. He shoots 33% from the three-point line, 50% on his free throws. But he's kind of the ultimate glue guy. And I think you look at Nevada's roster, they have all their starters coming back. Addison Patterson, Will Baker, both top 50 recruits coming out of high school joining the team. There weren't going to be a lot of shots that came along to whoever Nevada added with this last scholarship. So you go in there and you add a guy who averages only six shot attempts per game, but he impacts winning in a positive way. Like he can defend three or four different kinds of players. He's a pretty good rebounder. He's a pretty good defensive player. He's got more uh, assist and turnovers in his career. He shoots a high percentage around the rim. So I think he can fill a lot of gaps for Nevada. He can potentially be a starter at power forward. If not, I think he's going to get you 20 to 25 minutes uh, off the bench. So, you know, given what Nevada had to work with and they couldn't sell a lot of minutes, um, you know, I think he does a lot of things really, really well. And I think he's going to, like I said, impact winning. And that's all you're looking to do. Uh, Nevada already kind of has its star level players. And now it adds a glue guy who I think, uh, uh, you know, might be underrated coming into the program, but I think by the time he leaves in a year, because he has one year of eligibility, I think Wolfpack fans are going to like watching Trey Wade play basketball. Well, in, in every sport, especially in a sport like basketball, you need guys like this. You need players like this, men's and women's players that can come off the bench, maybe fill a starting role if somebody gets injured and, and step in. When Nevada is one in men's basketball, they've had guys like this. They had Jermaine Washingtons. They had guys like Kyle Shiloh. They had guys that could come off the bench and not necessarily be that superstar, but uh, without Tyron Criswell, Nevada doesn't win the CBI. You know, you don't, it just doesn't happen. So you need guys like this. Um, but this puts them, you see, you know, the, the 13, Nevada's right at the number now, right? For scholarships. Yeah. So they have 13 players. I wouldn't rule out some uh, moves coming forward. <laughs> uh, it seems like a roster in college is never set in stone, even during the season. But yes, Nevada is now at 13 scholarship players committed for next year or already on the team, and they are allowed 13 player under NCAA rules. So in theory, this should be moving forward, but you never know. Uh, you know, you never know at this yeah. point. But, I mean, you have to like what Nevada has. Uh, you know, they've got if there's one, I wouldn't even say it's a weakness. I just don't think Nevada is going to be like an excellent three-point shooting team. I think that's one thing that maybe they could have targeted with the scholarship. I think they'll be a solid three-point shooting team. Maybe you make 34, 35% of your threes. That'll put you somewhere between like 90th and 100 in the NCAA. I just feel like the game right now comes so much down to the three-point shot. 
And if you're not elite at shooting threes, it's very difficult to advance in the NCAA tournament. So, um, you know, that might be one area where Nevada can upgrade, but they're probably forecasting some improvement. Addison Patterson can shoot threes. You know, Desmond Cambridge could be a more efficient from three if he takes better threes. Uh, Grant Shorefield's a good three-point shooter. Uh, maybe Alan Husenovich takes a step forward and gives them some three-point shooting. Uh, Will Baker, you know, the seven-footer from Texas, didn't shoot very well at Texas, but in high school, he was a good three-point shooter. So maybe they're projecting some internal growth, but if there is one thing on the roster that I would say, okay, maybe you got to improve here. It would be that three-point shooting. Well, where do you think that Steve Alford would grade himself when it comes to from day one, the day one press conference where Jazz Johnson was off to the side, his arms in a sling, and he commits, I'm staying with Nevada. From that day to now, the morph of this roster, what grade would you give, would you think that Steve Alford would give himself about where his roster is now compared to then? Oh, I mean, he literally had no players on the roster at that point, but he was either, even uh, they were in the portal or they had left because they were seniors. So the roster is in a clearly different spot. What they've been able to accomplish the last couple of years, I mean, second in the Mountain West the first year, fifth this last year. Now they didn't get into the NIT either year. Now we don't know two years ago because they didn't play the NIT, but they were probably a CBI level team. Um, so maybe they would have wanted one postseason in there at the NIT or a higher level, but uh, you know, th they're primed right now. I mean, they've got a roster where you say this is a potential NCAA tournament team. Now I think this is a huge year because of that to say, okay, we're on track. They're on track the first two years, uh, but you get the year three and you want to be in the NCAA tournament. Like, you know, that's the next step to take a lot like football where we talked about earlier, they got to go out and prove it, but everything is in place for this to be completely on track for what Steve Alford wanted to be in in year three. Now they have to go out there, compete for a Mountain West championship, compete for a big uh, dance berth. And if they're able to do that, then uh, he has to be thrilled with where they are. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking like A minus, if not, if not A, because even, even after everyone, uh, aside from Jordan Brown, committed to coming back, that roster compared to what the roster is now, I'd still probably give him somewhere in the, in the high 80s, if not a 90. Uh, it's, it's been outstanding and incredible uh, uh, transformation of this roster in a very short amount of time. Uh, we'll be right back with more here on NSN Daily. Wrapping things up here on NSN Daily, Chris, uh, 90 seconds to go. Reno Rodeo has announced they are going to be at full capacity this summer. One of the iconic events that we lost last year. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously, we'll come down to the Washoe County Health District to a degree, but yep, they did announce that there is a commitment to holding the Reno Rodeo at full capacity. So that's their plan at the Livestock Event Center, June 17th to 26th. So we're about two months away, not too far away. Obviously, that's being used as a vaccination center right now, and they'll have to move that. But yeah, it is a huge event. I mean, it's a huge economic driver for Reno. I mean, it uh, estimates an annual impact on the region of $50 million. So not having that event last year was a big blow for Northern Nevada and Reno in particular. And uh, hopefully they're able to hold it safely and at full capacity this year. I know it is definitely something that a lot of our readers, viewers, fans have uh, marked on their calendar every year as uh, an event that they have to hit during the summer. Uh, they're saying that all the tickets, of course, this year will be digital to get into the uh, rodeo grounds. Uh, if you want to uh, purchase them, you can go to uh, Lawler Event Center, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, in person. And also go to My Nevada Tickets Com, but there is a service and handling fee there. For more information on the rodeo itself, go to renorodeo.com. Uh, Jake Dalton will be on the show tomorrow. The former Olympian will join us to talk about Olympic Games and being a, a brand new father. A busy week coming up. For Chris Murray and Anthony Resnick, I'm Brian Samudio. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time.